the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. We're going to talk about marriage. That's such a good subject. A special guest of ours, Dr. Tim Uhlhoff, and the book, Defending Your Marriage, The Reality of Spiritual Battle. And Dr. Muhlhoff, he is Professor of Communication at Biola University in La Miranda, it's La Miranda, California. He and his wife, Noreen, are frequent speakers at family life marriage conferences. And also, Tim is also a speaker for Biola Center for Marriage and Relationships. And welcome to the program. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And by Hamilton Stands, founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio, Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to is made using a Hamilton stage rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics, along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators. It's great to have you. My wife demanded that I have you on as a guest. Now, you've been on the program before with The God Conversation, that book, and you've had others since then. But uh, she just fell in love with your book. Oh, that's so good to hear. Well, I'll tell her thank you. Why is it that most people don't handle it from a uh, you know, spiritual perspective? Well, I think we have to be clear that a lot of the world absolutely does. Like our brothers and sisters in the faith in different parts of the world take spiritual battle very seriously. But in the West, I think it's because of the Enlightenment. I think it's because we like to think of ourselves as being super well-educated. And so when we think of spiritual battle or demons or Satan, I think immediately our mind goes to the uneducated, the, the supernatural, or even how Hollywood tends to portray the demonic, the occult. And we just don't want anything to do with it because one big stereotype of Christians is that we're kind of anti-intellectual. And this feeds right into it. We just feel like, let's not even bring up uh, what the Bible talks about, because to be honest, it's kind of embarrassing. It's so true. I mean, but you know, people, they're not afraid to talk about the statistics as far as divorce and uh, divorce in the secular end, and even with Christians. I mean, they're not afraid to talk about the numbers, but you know, as far as how to fix it and where this all comes from, I mean, to think that it comes from really 
the Bible there, Adam and Eve at the very beginning uh, when there was a little discord. And so um, paying attention to that, why is it so important? Why, why do we need to protect ourselves? Well, we need to be biblical first, Michael. I mean, if we're followers of Jesus, then we need to take what he says seriously. And 25% of everything Jesus talked about had to do with spiritual battle. Uh, every New Testament writer mentions spiritual battle, and John even goes so far as to say, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So if we're going to be biblical, then we've got to embrace a world of demons, a world of spiritual battle. I mean, think about the Bible just for a second. It starts with spiritual battle, with Adam and Eve and the serpent, and it ends with one of the great battles between God and Satan in the book of Revelation. So really, you get it from cover to cover. And again, I'm not saying we should put everything at the feet of spiritual battle, that every argument you have with your spouse, every disagreement uh, is demonically induced. That'd be going way too far in right. overreaction. But I think we're a long ways from overreacting when it comes to the topic of spiritual battle for those of us in the West. You hear about it, the honeymoon, how wonderful, and people get smitten with someone, and then then a real, just an argument or a disagreement or just, these are things where, you know, it comes to communication. Take it from there. What other things are we missing, and why do we just get so caught up in marriage where I guess you start with, the, I guess, the first couple of, what, weeks, <laughs> years? Yeah. So, so uh, transitioning into marriage is a big deal. It takes time. Uh, one psychologist speculates that it takes about 10 years to find the rhythm of your marriage. So there's going to be a lot of bumps along the way, you know, different backgrounds, different values, things like that. So I don't think Satan is in every single one of these hard transitions into a marriage. But what Satan wants to do is what Paul describes. He wants to create a foothold where he can separate the couple. So let's say a couple has an argument about finances. Well, okay, most couples do, right? But he wants to take that argument and he wants them to get angry with each other. And then Paul very clearly says in the New Testament, don't let your son, don't let the son go down on your anger. So I think Satan would want to take that natural disagreement about finances and he would want to exploit it. He would want to drive a wedge, just like he did with Adam and Eve. He'd want to drive a wedge between you as a couple and that's what we need to be on the lookout for, right? Good communication skills to talk about a hot button topic like finances, but also let's have our spiritual antenna up that Satan or a demon may be trying to stir the pot to get you to have a short temper with each other or not believe the best about each other. Who do you think the poster children are for, for marriage in the Bible? I mean, the best is someone to say, hey, you can model marriage and they did it right. Well, boy, that's a, that's a very interesting question. I would have to speak in the abstract, and I would say in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul, himself being single, he lays out, I think, the template for what a good marriage looks like. And he talks about self-sacrifice. He talks about men, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He talks about women. I want you to respect your husband as you do the Savior himself. But then, you know, it's interesting, Michael, about Ephesians is, of course, in the original letter, there were no chapter breaks. So right after he talks in chapter five, he talks about what a, a, a prototype Christian marriage should look like. It mm -hmm. bleeds right into what we now call chapter six, which is his most powerful description of spiritual armor. And I, I think 
Paul's message is about as clear as it could be. If you're serious about having a Christ-honoring marriage, you better prepare for battle. And that's why he then talks about spiritual armor. So I can't point to a marriage per se, but I would say Paul gives the template in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 of what a marriage should look like. Yeah, and that's the area my wife wanted to talk about. She used to say, make sure, you know, I'll probably forget, she said, but <laughs> she said, make sure, you know, that you remember this one about the armor of God. And we don't talk about that enough. And what really is that as far as how do we put that into practice using the armor of God in marriage? Well, this was a surprising part of the book in that the, there's good news and bad news about the armor of God. The good news is Paul totally anticipates spiritual battle within marriage. But the the bad news about the armor of God is it's not like um, actual armor that you carry with you, like in a duffel bag. And when you're in spiritual battle, you pull out the breastplate of righteousness. You pull out the sword of the spirit. Uh, They're not actual things. What Paul's talking about is a lifestyle, uh, discipleship with Jesus. So it's possible that a couple... Uh, because of their lifestyle, because they, they don't put Christ at the center of their marriage, they don't practice spiritual disciplines, they're not going to have protection from the armor of God. It isn't a quick fix. It's a lifestyle. And so when we get to the armor of God, we got to ask very powerful questions. As a couple, do we practice righteousness? Are, are we honest with each other? Um, do we believe the Bible? Do we read the Bible, right? Is is that something that's part of our marriage or do we just give lip service to it maybe on a Sunday? If we're just weekend warriors with Jesus and and the only thing we do is maybe go to church every other weekend, boy, your armor of God is going to be really suspect. Yeah, we should let our audience know that, you know, throwing silverware at each other, it's not part of putting on the armor or, or, you know, using, it's just, that's not what we do. Okay. But as far as as far as the, the battle goes, how does it work? I mean, on a spiritual plane, uh, in short, difficult question, but uh, how do we deal with it? How do we even know where, we're, where to navigate when it comes to these sure. interesting waters? Well, I, in preparation for writing the book, I um, read 20 books on spiritual battle. There's some great books on spiritual battle. And then ask the question, is there a sign of the demonic that all 20 noticed, that all 20 made note of? And I came up with like a power of five list. And so let's take one of them off the list, and that is uncontrollable anger. Mm. Now, anger between spouses, that's just common. That just happens. But if the anger consumes you, if if you can't get away from it, it, if you no longer believe the best about your spouse, if there's nothing positive about your spouse that you can even think of because you're so angry at that person, then I would say that that anger has bled into perhaps spiritual battle and that Satan or a demon is planting these negative, out of control, angry thoughts in your mind. And again, Michael, that was what a huge part of the book was biblical evidence that Satan can't read your mind, but he can plant thoughts in your mind. That's why Paul says, you need to take every thought captive. So I think anger that is out of control and you can't reel it in, I I might take a hard look at that as being Mm. a spiritual battle and pray specifically against that. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, you think about, you know, marriage, they say, you know, it can be either made in heaven or in hell. And uh, you see yeah. couples and it must be uh, something that pains your heart. Of course, you write these books and you speak in conferences and you're a professor at Biola University. But uh, you have couples that they're meant to be together. I mean, God doesn't get it wrong. So you figure with all these people getting divorced today, 
uh, you almost wonder, you know, what would it have been like, I guess, letting our sin affect the marriage? What would it be like if you could have it the way God intended it? You know, I mean, just think about that. And so it must be difficult for couples that are saying, hey, I want to believe that God got it right, but that this is really tough. And um, is it hard to go to that ideal transition when you're in the, in the, in the skids? Well, I do think Satan can, can give us this idea of the perfect married Christian couple, right? Always agrees on everything, or when they have conflict, the first thing they do is they pray about it. Um, they can quote verses to each other. So I, I think Satan delights in painting this really idealistic picture of what a Christian marriage should look like, that if you're trusting Jesus or, or putting God at the center of your relationship, you won't have conflict, you won't have differences. And, you know, you've mentioned that I speak for family life marriage conferences. That's made up of 60 speaker couples. And these are real life people who have arguments and disagreements and go to go to marital counseling, even as speakers with the conference. So if Satan's trying to paint this pristine picture of Christian marriage where nobody's struggling, well, that certainly isn't my marriage. And it's not the marriage of Christian authors I know who write about marriage or speak on marriage. It seems like these Christian movies are getting better. They're getting better. Thank God. <laughs> uh, uh, I would, I would, Michael, I would respectfully disagree. But oh, that's really? Cool. Really? Okay, tell well, no, Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Tell me why you don't like the way a lot of Christian films uh, depict marriage. Well, okay, I won't necessarily go the marriage route, but I will go the way we, de- well, let me just say this. The way we depict non-Christians or even the complexity of characters, I think is woefully inadequate. Take God is not dead, for instance. Mm-hmm. You have a freshman Christian student who has an atheist professor, and this freshman student is smart enough to outwit a PhD professor. Uh, and, and the way this non-Christian professor is presented is just so um, vanilla and so disrespectful. <laughs> Let me mention one movie I actually like. Yes. But I'll make my point. So the movie I like is The Case for Christ. It's mm-hmm. the story of Lee Strobel. Yes. But, but you know what that movie was rated, uh, Michael? You know what the rating was of that no. movie? No. PG. Uh, by the way, you know what else was PG that weekend? Captain Underpants. <laughs> so here, there, so I was in a theater filled mostly with Christians, and you know, uh, Lee Strobel was struggling with alcoholism. He feels betrayed by his wife because now she's become a Christian, and now she wants to take the kids to church, and he feels like, hey, this is betraying my values. I don't want my kids going to church. So he's drinking quite heavily, and here he is in his uh, home. She's left. They've had a huge argument. And he's angry and kicks over a desk and shouts, dang it. And there was actually laughter in the theater. Because these aren't real characters, right? (laughs) Marriage marriage is not PG. Anybody who's been in marriage knows you have R-rated moments in your marriage. And so if we consistently present these characters at a PG level or a PG-13 level, I don't think we're being honest about the complexity and the hardness of marriage. Give these characters a swear word or two. And again, I'm opposed to gratuitous swearing. Of course I am. But, but when a person is, is angry and his marriage is dissolving, there's no reason in the world you can't give that man a swear word because that, people do that. 
I mean, I would even say the older that I get as a Christian, I totally agree. You know, and I feel more inadequate every day when I think about it. That you know, it's so easy to be, to hide behind. Uh, I guess a form of Christianity, where you know, spirituality instead of um, instead of being real, like you're like you're saying, hey, I. Because a lot of people who are not Christians, they say, oh, you probably don't curse or you probably don't. Uh, oh, yes, I do. I don't well, want Michael, it, but I do. Michael, go back to the Bible. My goodness. Go to the Song of Solomon and how the Song of Solomon handles sexuality and erotica. I mean, just think of the heroes of the Bible. You have an adulterer. You have a murderer. You have, right? So the Bible does not share away, shy away from really complex characters and we should not shy away from the complexity of marriage. Now, now, I think this is probably a really good time for me to say the views represented here do not necessarily represent those of Biola University. <laughs> I was waiting but, for that. I was thinking of that. Go ahead. But be, oh, but there'd be a ton of my fellow faculty who totally agree with what I'm saying, is that we have presented such uncomplexity when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to uh, the complexity of the Christian life, Christians wrestling with the problem of evil. And I think, I think honestly, Michael, that one of the things Satan wants to do is cast this image of what the perfect Christian looks like or the mm-hmm. perfect uh, Christian marriage looks like, and then we're all going to fall short of that. So those are the ways we need to unmask these subtle attacks that Satan is trying. Now, listen, in no way, shape, or form am I saying the people who produce God is not dead or being used by the devil, right, to get to us. But I'm just imploring my, my uh, brothers and sisters, give us complex characters and complex language as we deal with complex issues. Yeah, it's real life. It's true. You, you mentioned that name, Vanilla. And uh, yeah. it's true. We, we, there are too many different colors in, in ice cream or emotions. And we, we run the whole gamut, whether you're a Christian or not. And you cover that in your book. Uh, Dr. Tim Muehlhoff is our special guest, the book Defending Your Marriage, The Reality of Spiritual Battle. And so uh, do you get nervous when people say, you know, we, we never had one fight? Yeah, I do. Uh, I want to know why. Um, now, I, I do believe, Michael, obviously there's couples that just personality-wise, they tend to be the same laid-back, phlegmatic-type personality. And so I, I will allow that there's certain couples that after time, you know, the arguments aren't quite as frequent. But I know that marital research shows what we call the inevitability of conflict, and that is that most couples uh, uh, experience the same type of arguments over and over. There's a man named John Gottman, who's one of the top marital researchers in the United States, and he says that 67% of all your marital conflict is perpetual. You have the same argument over and over and over because nobody's right, nobody's wrong, and so you're going to have to negotiate this. And, and, and I think that's just part and parcel of the Christian marriages I know is that we do wrestle with parenting differences and different views of finances and things like that. So, Dr. Muehlhoff, where do you go in your book? I mean, a lot of books on marriage. Obviously, the component of yours is a spiritual battle, which you need to defend your marriage, you know. But where do you take us that other authors have not? When I was preparing my book proposal for InterVarsity Press, I could not find one marital book that specifically dealt with spiritual battle. Yes. Now, now there were spiritual battle books that um, would include the topic of marriage every once in a while, but there was not one other book that was specifically about spiritual battle in marriage. So I think where I'm taking my uh, 
readers is, is uncharted territory, mm-hmm. a, a marriage book that specifically is talking about how spiritual battle infiltrates every part of the marriage. Well, you know that uh, David Letterman, like the top 10, we're going to do the top five right here, okay? Okay. Because it's in your book, page 53, top five indicators of spiritual warfare. You could do a drum roll if you want. It's up to you. The first one you covered, though, is inappropriate anger. You did cover that one, though. The second one, sense of impending doom. Take that away. Yeah, so, you know, everybody has anxiety within a marriage, of course. Uh, But this is impending doom. So it would be like, you and your spouse decide, hey, maybe we can give a little bit more to a particular church cause or a Christian cause. But then you get hit with all these thoughts like, oh my goodness, this is going to ruin us financially. Um, If we take this step of faith, it's going to be the end of us. It might even be the end of the marriage. Those kind of um, impending doom thoughts, I think we need to kind of flesh those out a little bit and say, you know, God's called us to faith. And again, anxiety is part and parcel. You can make a good Christian decision and still have anxiety, but it's impending doom that I think is probably a sign of the demonic and that Satan's trying to scare you literally away from living a life of faith. Yes. Interesting. The other one, violent dreams. You wake up, you say, with your heart pounding, images of your spouse dying or children being separated from you during a violent accident seems so real. What is violent dreams all about? Well, Michael, I actually wrote the book because I was asked to... um, to consider being the interim teaching pastor of a church here in Orange County to add it to my responsibilities of being a professor. Wow. And I started to have incredible violent dreams that, that uh, people were breaking into our house, coming up the stairs to kill me and my wife. They wow. were so real, Michael, that I would literally get out of bed, stand by the door <laughs> and wait for these people to come in because I was going to have to defend me and my wife. Hmm. And then I'd over time, I'd, I'd kind of open the door and peek into the hallway and it was empty. And I had these dreams three nights in a row. And then one of the elders from the church that was going to ask me to, you know, maybe be the interim teaching pastor said, hey, is there anything we can pray about as you <laughs> are making this decision? And Michael, I almost didn't mention it to him. Mm. I said, yeah, pray about my teaching schedule, pray about blah, 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 blah. And then at the very end, I think this is crazy. Mm-hmm. And so I said, hey, let me just mention these violent dreams. And so he called together the elders that night, and I went and they prayed over me. But the book is about that, Michael. Why is it that here I am talking to an elder of a church, asking me for prayer requests, and I almost hung up the phone because I felt, it felt weird to talk about maybe I was under spiritual attack. Hmm. That's the kind of hesitation I think we need to get at as Western Christians. So those violent dreams uh, really opened my eyes to maybe the reality of spiritual battle. But everybody that I read mentioned uh, violent dreams as one of the indicators. See, uh, next, next week, I was going to say, that's the next book you have to write about uh, interpreting dreams. So we can oh, no way. No way. <laughs> but Michael, fascinating that in the garden, Satan does not do that. He does not walk right up to Eve, and he does not say to her, I want you to rebel against God right now, right? Because it would have woke her up. He, and I cover this in one of the chapters of my book, he very subtly tries to undermine her confidence in God. And then there's the really interesting phrase in Genesis, when she takes a bite of the fruit, she gives it to her husband who was with her. And many theologians believe Adam was present during the tempting, but Satan was able to psychologically separate the two. 
And so I don't think sometimes, sometimes for me, Satan does not come right at me in these overt, powerful mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. There may be even times I don't feel his presence, but with some introspection and prayer and the leading of the spirit, I uncover that in fact, me and my wife are under spiritual attack. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's real. And, the, you know, we don't, as you, get, you said we don't talk about it enough. And you talked about, gee whiz, I mean, I don't know. We're, are we supposed to feel comfortable or are we supposed to talk about these things that uh, so we can protect ourselves and grow? And you do in your book, Dr. Tim Uhoff, Defending Your Marriage, Continuing Top Five Indicators of Spiritual Battle. You talk about no longer believing the best about God, kind of feeling a little abandoned by God. Absolutely. And a lot of uh, writers of Scripture felt this way, both in the Old and the New Testament. So we know that Paul tells us that God is in our corner, Romans chapter 8, a powerful chapter where Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? So we are to have the sense that as children of God, uh, God is for us, but Satan loves to undermine that. He loves to get us to think, hey, God just abandoned you right now, right? You prayed for the health of your child and your child got sicker. Uh, You prayed this step of faith and you gave money and guess what? It has taken a toll on your budget. So, So God has turned his back on you. When we start to hear that kind of language, when we're tempted to believe the worst about God, not the best, I think that's time for us to respond in a spiritual way against attack. Is there something like a certain thing that you pray to overcome spiritual oppression? Yeah, um, sure. Uh, In one of the chapters, I talk about spiritual warfare prayers. Um, And I think a spiritual warfare prayer is simply taking any truth of Scripture and using your status authority. That's a phrase from Charles Kraft, who writes on spiritual battle. I use my status authority to remind myself and my spouse and my kids of biblical truth. So let's say Noreen is losing confidence at work and believing that she's not a good employee at Biola University. I step in as her husband with status authority, and I pray biblical prayers. I just say, she is a child of God. Um, She is loved by God. She, um, of course, can make mistakes at work. Of course, everybody does. But if she's losing confidence because of spiritual attack in the name of Jesus, I rebuke Mm. that message. And so that, that kind of overt prayer, mm. I think is very important for us to pray as couples, but also use status authority. So as a professor, I have status authority over my classroom, as a father over my children, as a husband with my spouse, you know, things like that. It's very important that we use our authority that's been given to us. And just to touch on it, you talked about a little bit, but how is specifically, would you say, how can married couples apply the armor of God? Well, I think they need to get dressed individually and together. When Paul uses a Roman soldier as his model, uh, what we know about Roman soldiers is they fought shoulder to shoulder. They fought as a unit. So uh, it's important for us to get dressed individually. I need to think about my own personal righteousness. I need to think about my own um, embracing of who God is, right, as a person. But then second, as a couple, we depend on each other. So if Noreen's getting dressed in her armor, but I'm not, well, just like a Roman infantry unit, my lack of getting dressed is affecting her. So as a couple, I I list a bunch of different questions in the book that we need to ask as couples to make sure that we're getting dressed in righteousness. How much do we pray together as a couple? How much do we read the Bible? How How often do we take steps of faith? 
Do we speak the truth in love? Those kind of questions help us get dressed in God's armor. Now, the other you mentioned, I think you kind of combine this, no longer believing the best about you. And that's kind of part and parcel what you had mentioned. You say psychologists tell us that the most important part of who we are is our self-talk, the internal dialogue that we continually have with ourselves. Our self-talk, you say, centers around three fundamental questions. How do I look in comparison to others? How do I do or do I do in comparison to others? And how important am I in comparison to others? You want to talk about that? Yeah, I actually do a podcast called The Art of Relationships, uh, and I do it with the psychologist, Dr. Chris Grace. And so he's the one who has really turned me on to this idea of self-talk, that it is fundamentally who we are as people, is this, this um, mental conversation that you have in your mind. And so those questions are incredibly important. And, and when we start to believe the worst about ourselves, right? Uh, it's one thing for me to think, I could probably do better as a husband, right? But if I start to believe I'm a horrible husband, I'm a horrible professor, I'm a terrible child of God, that's when we need to stop and say, boy, that self-talk needs to be stopped. That's why Paul says, take every thought captive. Uh, Because that kind of internal dialogue, that's coming from the enemy. That's not coming from God. When I read Romans, Paul says, guess what? There is no condemnation with God. God is not angry with you. Doesn't mean he couldn't spiritually discipline you in some way, but never out of anger. And, and, and there's even no sin I could commit that I could never come back to God. That's what the, the great prodigal son analogy was all about, where Jesus said, I want to imagine a Jewish son doing the worst thing possible. But still, when he comes back, the father runs to him. That's the kind of biblical knowledge, and that's the that's the word of the spirit. That's, the, that, that's what we need to be uh, meditating on and memorizing and stuff like that. There are couples, obviously married, couples that want to feel something. I mean, after a while, eh, <laughs> commitments of life, uh, it dulls the marriage. And so you mentioned about that. That's a component also that's outside the top five, but it's, it's in there, of course, in your book, Special Consideration, Sexual Intimacy. And uh, you talk about divorce. You talk about how things like that creep in and spiritual battle of Satan. You say the individuals I've met who've had an emotional or physical affair often confess yearning for a return of the thrills of erotic love over time. The commitments of marriage slowly suffocated the passion of the marriage. And you say Satan delights in stoking the desire of, for return to the early stages of romance. So that's, I, I'm glad you mentioned that in there. And what, what would you like to tell us about that, how that gets in the way? Well, Hollywood is, is utterly transfixed on early love, early passionate love. And it's a great thing. My goodness, it's awesome to see a couple who's falling in love or getting engaged or, you know, when they first get married, but that's not anybody who's been married for a long period of time. You can't live on a roller coaster, right? You you can't always have that high, that high passionate erotic feeling that Hollywood's in love with. So sometimes there's marriages that are going through, you know, the middle and, and they're struggling and they don't feel necessarily romantically inclined to each other. Well, I would say to a couple who came to me with that kind of an issue, guess what? Welcome to marriage. (laughs) This marriage, it's ups and downs, right? But Satan loves to get in and say, okay, because you don't feel how you used to feel about each other in year three of the marriage, now that you're in year 13 of the marriage, something's wrong with the marriage. By the way, you can get that romantic feeling in a different relationship. 
You can get it through pornography, you can get it through romance novels, or you can leave the marriage and find it in somebody else, and you can get all of that back. When you start to have those kind of thoughts, then it's time to recognize this is a spiritual battle, and Satan is painting a completely warped view of what a long-term marriage looks like. And you have to be careful. You mentioned this because even friends, they can influence the marriage as well. And, you know, you got to, I guess, check up from the neck up. You know, who are your real friends? Because they'll say things that may not be as helpful. That What you're saying, you know, you could be happy. You could find uh, someone else or have an affair or, you know. And so you got to be careful, too, that your friends are, are rooted in what the Bible has to say or else they can give you bad information. Right, and there's actually a term uh, sociologists have developed called divorce clustering, which means within a, a group of friends, when one couple gets divorced, it's actually like a, a flu virus that goes through the entire community. Uh, so people actually get primed for divorce, and we know statistically that divorce can actually run rampant within a community. And by the way, that's also true of suicide. There's also suicide clustering where a person commits suicide and, and now that becomes a potentiality with, within a community or a family. But the, but the good thing about divorce clustering is the opposite is absolutely true. So if you have couples who are committed to God's blueprint for marriage, are committed to pursuing God, committed to resolving conflict, we could argue that there would be like a righteousness clustering. There'd be a biblical marriage clustering. Where, and we know from the Bible and just sociology, your friends really do make a big impact on who you are. So we are told to pick our friends very carefully, right, the inner circle, because they're going to have a huge say in your self-talk and the health of the marriage. You ever feel guilty when, you, you, you know, you fight with your wife and you say, gee whiz, you know, we give these conferences and everything. You know, what, what are we doing? I mean, the, that happens too, though. I mean, but how, how has the research and, and of course, uh, authoring the book, Defending Your Marriage, how has it helped you? <laughs> well, I said to couples at a conference, how many of you had an argument on the way to the conference? And then I say, imagine having an argument on the way to speaking at a conference, Right. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, Maureen, I've been speaking at Family Life for, I think, 23 years. Of course, there's been a conference or two where we just haven't been doing great, right? Well, that's just part and parcel of being a Christian couple who speaks on marriage. So I think constantly reminding myself of good communication skills, constantly reminding myself of what the purpose of marriage is, I think is really important. Um, we need to keep that in the forethought and encourage each other. So I think writing on marriage doesn't make you necessarily have a great marriage, but it reminds you of what you ought to be doing. And I think that's really good that we get those kind of reminders. Yeah, there are all kinds of tactics. And you mentioned it, the serpent was crafty, talking about what we were before, understanding the tactics of Satan. It's in your book. And also, I want to read the table of contents, the first step, making sense of your adversary. Why would Satan care about my marriage? Uh, chapter three, how can I tell if this is spiritual warfare? The serpent was crafty, fighting back as a couple. Our greatest defense is prayer, energizing our spiritual protection. And then lastly, Taking the Devil's Perspective, Insights from C.S. Lewis. So in a nutshell, what would you like the readers to, to really, if they could walk away you know, after reading your book, Defending Your Marriage, The Reality of Spiritual Battle, what would you like them to come away with? Well, I think I would say reading a book about spiritual battle in marriage isn't inviting spiritual battle into your marriage. It, it, it's already happening. 
if you're a Christian couple and you're serious and you really want to glorify God within your marriage, you're already a target and it's happening. So putting our heads in the sand isn't going to help us. So I think uh, reading a book about spiritual battle um, can help us understand maybe some of the tactics of Satan and what are some biblical responses. So I would encourage couples, if we're going to be biblical, that we need to take seriously what the scripture says. And the scripture talks about spiritual battle all the time. Dr. Tim Yuhoff, our special guest, and he, of course, is professor of communication at Biola University in La Miranda, California. And uh, it's in the back of your book, Is Your Marriage Under Attack? Sometimes it can feel like the world is trying to tear your marriage apart. Internal conflicts or external pressures might make you wonder if something sinister is going on. How can you tell if you're facing spiritual oppression? He's going to handle our and real life in the book. So, you know, go out and get it. Once again, defending your marriage. We appreciate you being on the program. Thank you, Michael. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics, Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailor solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand, from headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bearedynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And by Hamilton Stands, founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio, Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to is made using a Hamilton stage rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators.